Today on the show, we love the accessibility features on Android, but hackers might love them more. Plus, we're reacting to all the big news from this week in accessibility. Welcome to the show. I'm Des Delgadillo. And I'm Louis Doe. Let's jump right in and talk about the news from this week. Google unveiled more about project guidelines and an innovative initiative that enables visually impaired individuals to navigate outdoor paths using just a Google Pixel phone and headphones. That sounds awesome. Uh, the project uses advanced machine learning to follow paths marked with painted lines. Um, Google has now made project guideline open source, allowing anyone to access and enhance it. Wow. Um, Lewis, are you going to start a running career? Or what, what, what's uh, what's your plan now that we've got access to Project Open Source? No running career. My legs already hurt at that statement. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what, uh, what other developers do with this. Um, because one of the benefits to Android is, is the two words you mentioned, open source, right? People are able to take uh, bits and pieces of Android to create some pretty innovative and, and cool apps. Um, and for us as uh, blind and visually impaired users, the marketplace has traditionally, or the market share rather, has traditionally been with iOS. So it's great that Android is seeing some love and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what um, what what folks will uh, do with, with this uh, new open source uh, project guidelines. I'm idea. so ready. I'm an Android user. I've um, I've got an iPhone as well, but I use an Android in my day to day, and it is just going to be so much cooler to have like an option. And um, okay, so uh, thinking more about it, this might be a little like lidar. If anybody thinks uh, I'm off the mark, you can email in and correct me if I'm wrong. But it sounds to me a little bit like what um, the new iPhones are doing. I would agree. I think that matches my assessment too. And I think what we're seeing here that's exciting uh, um, that I, I only kind of thought up now that you brought this up is that uh, both of these uh, big tech com companies, um, Apple and Google with their uh, mobile platforms, uh, iOS for Apple and Android for Google respectively, they're both competing for for the blind and low vision uh market share um and it's it's really neat to see the the different approaches that both companies are taking yeah especially the fact that it's open source so that anybody can tap into it and speaking of open source a new screen reader for the mac could be on its way portuguese developer jo santos announced on the Apple Viz forum that the idea is for the project to be open source, similar to NVDA on Windows. The working title for the project, tell me what you think about this, Louis, Vosh, a combination of Vision and Macintosh. Do you like the name? It's a working title, but Vosh. It's a little on the nose, but I mean, it, it says what it is. So uh, I, I, I'm not sure how fun you can get with these with these naming conventions. We're finally shrugging off the convention of naming our screen readers after sea animals. The downside that I see to uh, this approach um, in the Apple ecosystem is that Apple is the opposite of Google, right? They, they are not open source. Open source is something that they've never really um, embraced. 
Um, so it's going to be interesting um, to see if Vash can offer the capabilities and frankly the competition that voiceover can because voiceover since it's a native screen reader built into the operating system can access a lot more permissions and and you know underlying uh uh underlying stuff that Vosh can't um and apple in the past if it didn't like its competition it either bought out its competition or just mm -hmm. created something of its own and you know just made made its competition irrelevant and i think that that term is called sherlocking um so it's it's going to be i i think it comes down to like it or not a lot of it will come down to philosophy so is Giles santos and and wh whoever else is working with him on Vosh targeting Apple at a time where they're willing to change their philosophy and become a little more open? Or will Apple just decide that voiceover will reign supreme and be the only screen reader on the block? Yeah, that's a good term, Sherlocking. And that's definitely what I expect um, to happen personally. Apple has a really good reputation of just buying up their competition, like you said. So if there's any sort of um, upward momentum for Vosh or whatever it ends up being called. I don't know um, it, how how well off this J.O. Uh, Santos is, um, but I would hope that he is a little resistant. But history has bear, has bored out that um, there's, there's, there'll probably be some sort of acquisition coming up. But speaking of Apple, Apple released a short film on Thursday highlighting the personal voice feature for iOS. Now, the video was created by Taika Waititi, and it centers around a furry creature trying to help a little girl find her voice. Now, um, this this video, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to, to see it yet, Lewis. Give us a summary. So um, the video basically follows a uh, little girl in the woods looking for her voice and a little nondescript furry creature is um, helping her find it. And they're looking all over the place under the rocks and in a tree and they can't find her voice. And then uh, the end of the video, we have a heartwarming moment with the daughter and her dad. And he is uh, reading her a bedtime story with the iPhone. So there's an audio described version for those visually impaired listeners. Um, and it, I, I, I wanted to talk about this because it's a really good example of uh, like a, a, a polarization, I guess is the word that I'm feeling about this on one end of it. I think it's kind of icky, right? That Apple is like marketing using disability as a marketing tactic. But on the other hand, um, I feel like this is the only way that some people are exposed to disabilities, right? This is the only way they learn about it, e.g. representation. So it's the, just a point of clarification. The iPhone is supposed to be like this device that she can use for her voice. They found her voice at the end and, it, and, and it's on the iPhone. Correct. Because she can like, I guess, create her own voice via the iPhone. Okay, I think, so one of the biggest things for the people with disabilities is the, was what you're alluding to, right? The, the, the dignity of, of, of the subject being uh, discussed. Um, and of course the, the opposite reaction is that icky reaction of like, ugh, like don't, like this is belittling, this is, you know, what, whatever, you know, 
negative language you want to throw around it. But like heartwarming stories or what people perceive as heartwarming hasn't changed for all the times for for as long as people with disabilities have railed against like don't don't make uh videos like this videos like this is sometimes is what is accessible to people right like we talk a lot about you and i we work in our fields and we talk about digital accessibility a lot but there's i think there's a a thing about um conceptual accessibility too there's a huge huge caveat here and the caveat is that if the world is full of heartwarming disability stories then the true disability stories aren't being told right so the, there there's actually an opportunity here like apple can create a series using this character right so this is, you know, the, the first video, as you described, there's this creature, uh, it, it helps her and like they find the iPhone and, 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 you know, she's using the iPhone now and like she discovered her voice, right? But what's next? Version 2.0 comes out. Let's say, I don't know, there's there's a bunch of features. She, she should come back. They should, they should have a second video of showing, oh, this person's, you know, this, this character's grown up a little bit. Uh, since she discovered her voice, this is how she's using it. If there's no connection to real life, to to the way uh, integration should be done, to the way people with disabilities want to be seen, then it's just cheap marketing at that point. Yeah, that, that was incredibly well put. I couldn't say it any better myself. A very well-educated point. And um, I think I know why, because this next story is actually about your alma mater, UCLA, has started to offer a major in disability studies, making it the first university to do that in the state of California. Before, even though state universities here were key in the disability rights movement and helped shape important laws, they didn't offer a full major in disability studies. Places like UC Berkeley and San Francisco State were into disability studies early on, but they only had minors, not full majors. So other states like Illinois, Wisconsin, and Ohio already have the disability studies programs, but California's top schools have been slow to fully embrace this field and hire disabled faculty. Now, the cool thing about this is not only are they um, building disability studies into their curriculum, they're also gonna be hiring tenured faculty who is disabled and can you know, obviously help better educate whoever comes into this. So what do you think, Louis? Are, are you going to go back to school for this? No plans on going back to school, but the fact that somebody can declare a disabilities major and put it on their resume and, you know, walk across that stage after four years of college and and have disability be recognized as a serious, worthwhile subject for discussion and education and innovation, that's huge. Um, it's it's important because uh, it, it's showing that the university, the leadership behind the university, cares enough to make this a major. That it, that the students are finally being heard. Um, and I know for for uh, folks with disabilities, being heard 
is sometimes the hardest step to 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 get others uh, to reach yeah uh, with you yeah so i think this is wonderful i think this is a a, a great step uh, a, a right step and i um I'm very curious to see where this goes. Uh, I, the 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 class of uh, the the first graduating class will be making history. Yeah, and I'm really excited also to see what other institutions do in response to this. Obviously, UCLA is is an incredibly influential place um, in terms of higher education. So I think the fact that they're doing this. We're going to see a lot of other schools doing this, not just in California, hopefully, but all over the place. But uh, enough about education. Let's talk about playtime. In the world of video games, 2023 has been an amazing year for accessibility. If you're a blind player, we've gotten Mortal Kombat 1, Forza Motorsports, the remastered The Last of Us, and not to mention products like the PlayStation's Project Leonardo, which is an accessible controller with endless remapping options for players of varying abilities. So this week, Ubisoft announced some of the accessibility features for the new game Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which comes out December 7th. Caniplaythat.com has a great breakdown for all the features in the game, but among some of the ones that really stood out to me, customizable controls, customizable UI colors, menu narration, and a speaker direction indicator. So not sure if this game is going to be fully playable for blind people or, any, or anything like that. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be as comprehensive as, say, Forza or Mortal Kombat 1, but just the fact that the company themselves are investing in these accessibility options I think is awesome. Ubisoft is, of course, a huge game manufacturer. Um, Avatar is a huge franchise. I can't stop hearing about those damn blue people anywhere I go. So they're they're everywhere. Lewis, are you going to fire up the PlayStation Five? What are you going to be doing this Christmas? I uh, am finding um, I, I just got myself a Xbox controller and I've been connecting it to uh, my PC and playing games that way. Um, so you don't technically, uh, well. I, I shouldn't say that because I'm not a uh, technical programmer, but from what I can tell, you don't always technically need to have a console anymore to play, which if you don't need a big screen uh, or whatever um, on a TV and, and you just have a laptop the, the way I do, um, makes it even more accessible. So uh, I'm finding the... the the way the way hardware and and games are being developed it's it's becoming a a, a very interesting uh frontier for for folks who are finding love with them yeah one thing i want to add to the gaming thing is also if you um are playing on the pc the last of us remaster is on the pc you do need um a certain graphics card and gpu and all that jazz so you can check all that out on the website if your website is compatible mine sadly is not i have a sneaking suspicion lewis you being the technical person that you are yours probably is besides the games mentioned we'll also add a couple of other games that we have found to be accessible in the show notes as well right on all right that's all the news for right now let's take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about android accessibility and how hackers can use it to hijack your devices 
All right, Lewis, for our first big segment of the week, I thought it would be fun to talk about Android accessibility services. More specifically, how hackers are hijacking Android security services to get into people's devices. So when you think about Android accessibility services, you think of features like TalkBack, voice control, or navigation assistance, things like that. But the uh, same API that can make our phones talk to us or let us control them with our voices is also a weak spot in every Android device's security. Do you feel safe when you use your Android, Lewis? I just wanted to start there. Uh, when I use apps and um, websites that I trust, and I and the way I determine that is I try to only download apps from the uh, Google Play Store. Uh, however, that's that's of course not always possible. Right. Yeah, it's it, it, it can be pretty difficult. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how Google has kind of tried to cut this problem down, but it's still a problem. Let's talk about uh, what the problem looked like before Google took those measures. So Bleeping Computer wrote this back in 2017, and I think it's still pretty relevant today. They said the API works by allowing an application programmatic access over actions that in normal circumstance require physical interaction. For example, the accessibility service can mimic taps and swipes on UI elements to navigate users through various screens. So it sounds a lot like TalkBack and the other apps that we use on a daily on a day to day basis. Sounds exactly like them, or their yeah. principles at least. The article goes on to say this is a very powerful feature, one that malware authors also noticed and incorporated into their malicious apps. For years, these malicious apps have relied on tricking users into granting them access to the accessibility service. Once they gained such access, it was game over. As this allowed the malware to install itself as device admin, download and install other malware and execute various operations in the phone's background. That is no bueno, Lewis. And, you know, it's, it's scary as a screen reader user. How many times have, have we encountered dialogues where we're just like, I am clicking okay. I don't know why I couldn't read it, but I think yeah. this is the right, this feels right. I hope this is right. Yeah, because you just want to get to your task, right? That's the whole point of using the phone is like, you're just going to click through because you want to get to the task that you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And the um, the question that I think screener users always ask, and um, they ask it, with more frequency if they are older, someone new to screen readers, you know, a, a multitude of different situations and scenarios. And the question that, that folks ask a lot is, is it me? Is it my phone slash device? Or is it my AT? Is it my screen reader? Yeah, because it's really hard to find centralized documentation, um, especially for Android. For the iOS world, you have places like Apple Vis, at least from a screen reading perspective. It's really hard to find. I mean, accessible Android is probably the closest I can think of to a similar website, but you know, there are only like one or two people. So you're not always going to get the most up-to-date documentation. And we'll, we'll get into this more as the conversation progresses, but with Apple, people on the Apple side of things, uh, they live in a walled garden in a, in a uh, supervised sandbox. Uh, where security is already a priority. So they don't necessarily have to worry about um, the, the 
the security vulnerabilities that folks who use Android have to worry about. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's learn a little bit more about what what kinds of things they're doing here. There are a lot of different ways the accessibility services can be abused by attackers. One of the scariest is called clickjacking. Uh, so in my research for this, an example I saw used a lot was a Rick and Morty game from 2016. Now, I love Rick and Morty. Um, I didn't get a chance to play this at the time, but it looks like a really fun game. You have all the characters from the show and they're popping up and it's your job to whack them with a hammer. I mean, if that doesn't sound like fun, I don't know what does, but the game was anything but. Each time the users were whacking a character in the game or performing any sort of gesture, the game was actually passing through clicks to an invisible permission screen. So by the time users got bored of the game, the app had taken total control of their phones using the accessibility services, leaving all of the information on their devices up for grabs. Now, like I said, this came out in 2016. This was freely available on the Google Play Store. The timeline is something that concerns me because it's, you know, 2016 or 2017 to like 2022 or whenever they fixed it to like 2023. You know what I mean? Not yeah. where we are. They fixed it in 2021, November of 2021. Yeah, there's like, there's a lot of years in between those things. So yeah. it's like, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is... um Like are 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 these these are priorities that impact us as accessibility users, but are they being viewed as such, or are, are they being reacted to? Yeah, and I will just add, I left it out of the story just for brevity, yeah. but Google actually did try and address these issues. Um, so in twenty seventeen, Google tried to block um, apps that were using the accessibility API, but a lot of developers who were using that API for harmless reasons, we're also gonna get penalized. So although the actual ban went into effect in 2017, Google quietly walked that one back. And it wasn't until 2021 that they came back and actually re-implemented their procedures. I think they took the over the, the interim, they were developing um, these new procedures and, you know, everything takes really long in tech. I, I, I'm not trying to play like Google's answer man or anything, but that's that's what I saw uh, in regards to the timeline. Okay, so like I said, in 2021, they decided that they weren't going to allow people to use their apps anymore um, for accessibility purposes without written lists of what they planned on using the API for. And they went ahead and took it a step further and actually removed any apps from Google Play that did not provide a written list of, of those reasons. So as far as Google Play is concerned, I would argue as of 2021, they've done a pretty good job of cutting down on these accessibility attacks. Would you agree with that? I would say so. But as much as Google would like you to think so, the Android ecosystem doesn't exactly stop with Google in their Play Store, whether it's third party app stores like um, let's just say APK Mirror, for example, or links on social media. There's still plenty of ways to get APKs out there that are outside of the Google sphere, which means there are still plenty of places for hackers to try and hijack your accessibility permissions. I know you're not using Android all the time, Lewis. Are you one to try and site load an app every now and again? Yeah, I, I am. Um, one uh, APK I can think of recently is I tried to download the uh, Eloquence uh, synthesizer for Android. Oh, yeah. Um, 
which is not available in the uh, latest version. Um, it hasn't been available for the last couple of versions. And and I tried to, um, but I, I only recently uh, got an Android phone this uh, this year in 2023. Um, so I tried to site load that um, uh, and for various reasons it didn't work. So that's, that's one of the, that's an example that comes um, strictly to mind. And it's one of the examples that I think is relevant to uh, uh, the conversation at hand because um, the synthesizer, it's it's we're using it uh, for say using talkback and things like that, but it may not be the direct accessibility service. But you know you still you still would need uh, a, a synthesizer. Um, and and if that gets flagged under app uh, under Google's rules, then that would be a, a detriment for us. Yeah, yeah, no, that wouldn't be good at all. So, okay, when I started researching this topic, I figured this wasn't much of an issue in 2023. After all, only smart people use Android, right? Well, here's how they can get the smartest of us today without ever touching the Play Store. So, you've just received a text from your bank. They updated their app. And they wanted to send it to you so you can get logged in and give them feedback. After all, you're such a valued user, they wanted to send it to you first. Besides a little bit of flattery, most people wouldn't think twice about this. After all, our banks have our phone numbers and whatever else they could ever want. So the fact that they're using our phone numbers to contact us, it's not going to raise any alarms. This exact type of scam is what started happening in Peru in April of this year. Users who thought they were downloading the app they used to pay their taxes or get their refund or whatever they do in Peru, I am not sure, they were actually downloading the Zanubis Trojan virus. According to a Kaspersky analysis published at the end of September 2023, that's just two months ago, the Zanubis malware is then programmed to remain dormant until the user opens any of the banking apps that are on a predetermined list in the Zanubis program. As soon as those apps open, the malware will either start logging inputs or recording the screen. As soon as they have access, they can take all of your information and start using it for whatever nefarious purposes they would like. Does that scare you or what? I'm suitless. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. It's not safe out there. The thing that I worry about is you can try and lock these things down, right? You can try and make things safer for people if you're Google, but that kind of goes goes in the face of at least what I see as the unique selling proposition of Android, right? As you, you're, you're able to get in there and tinker. You're able to do things that you're not able to do in the Apple ecosystem. Just to play devil's advocate here, we're, we're talking about safety and security and freedom uh, concepts that uh, on the face of it looks very, um, uh, um, they look like opposing concepts. Um, and Android, I've heard Android be uh, described as the, the wild west. That's the wild west of technology. You don't know what's going on uh it's it's the frontier uh, it's it's you know androids in so many other products too aside from phones right they're uh, they're it's on uh androids on uh microwaves fridges washing machines all that kind of stuff um 
And if we're talking about, you know, freedom and the Wild West, then should we be expecting, should we have been expecting that it was only a matter of time before accessibility services get um, uh, targeted? Because one of the conversations we had before the show um, was that there are people out there whose, whose jobs are dedicated to creating malware. You're right. Absolutely. There are people whose jobs it is to just create ways to scam you and not just like look at the Rick and Morty example from earlier. That was a creative uh, game with fun graphics that matched the show. People aren't going to think twice about something like that. Um, so it, it's really, really on us to be super vigilant. But I also think a big proponent of this in a way to solve um, this issue in the long term. And Google did a really good job of sort of plugging the hole back in 2021. But like you said, Android is the Wild West in the sense that you're still able to go in and, and have more great um, granular control than you would on, on an Apple device. And a big way to solve for that security flaw or a security issue that exists is education. Right. We talked about the whole UCLA thing at the beginning of the show, and you know there's going to be like a security um, component to that curriculum. But you've also got to think about more short term solutions um, and ways that we can get people today who aren't necessarily pursuing higher education to be able to understand that their phones are 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 susceptible to this backdoor attack that people can use. Because you're not going to get rid of accessibility API. That's not something you're going to do, right? You can't because it's 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 how people are able to hook into the system in the first place. And it's I, I think the 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 dilemma here is how do you build safeguards into the system itself, into the software itself that that people are learning and reacting and and being proactive. Uh, within the environment rather than having to take time and sit and sit down and watch a five minute video on security when they have jobs and kids and families and things to to take care of. Exactly. Good foreshadowing there. You know, there are a few security apps out there right now that you can download to monitor your phone for malware. I personally haven't installed one yet, but after doing all of this research, I think I'm going to do that this weekend. Google Play Protect is definitely the most popular option. And as long as you're using Google Play services exclusively, uh, you've opted into those features. But that doesn't cover any of the other apps you're putting on your phone via APK Mirror or other less reputable places. Basically, if you think of an antivirus program, chances are it has an Android equivalent. Bitdefender, Avast, AVG, they're all on there and they all have a degree of security that they can apply to your apps, including apps that you site load. Meanwhile, um, on the development side, this is kind of what you were talking about. Developers have the option of using a secure service SDK like AppDome, which bills itself as a no-code solution to help build security protocols into apps, and that includes safeguards for accessibility APIs. So the way I kind of see AppDome is, A, it's on the development side, so this isn't the user's prerogative, but it's just adding a secondary layer of security, right? 
Yeah, and de- and just detecting these 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 you know malicious actors and 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 you know preventing them from from gaining access and and and, and getting more uh, like getting a grip on on people's systems. Yeah, it's a it's a tough time, and it is truly the wild west. It's back and forth between bad actors and companies just trying to keep their OS safe, and the users. Well, we're just the ones caught in the crossfire. And although this is not a combat, and although this is not a combat sports website, we'll keep you up on this particular fight right here on DelcadioAccess.com. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about our big highlights for the week in accessibility. All right, before we get out of here, we're each going to name one thing from this week in accessibility that really stood out to us. Lewis, I'm going to let you go first. My pick is called Face in View, and it's designed for when somebody is trying to figure out if they are in frame. Uh, for either a virtual meeting or other video or camera purposes. Uh, it's a small feature, but uh, it works really well. I didn't think I would ever use it, but then I moved and my uh, work setup changed and my lighting conditions and all that changed. And uh, it was great being able to fire up face interview, no, and uh, get some feedback and then know that I am looking good for my meeting uh, that my face is of course in view and then going on about my day it, I've, I've never used it since but the uh, fact that when I needed it it performed flawlessly was uh, was great yeah I, I've been using it pretty regularly actually and it really has helped my confidence um, of being on camera making sure I'm looking in the right direction um, I think people appreciate that and just knowing that I'm not completely off to the side or um, in a un, you know a direction that people can't see it's really been helpful I've been actually like doing more screencasts and stuff like that trying to get myself on camera a little bit more and um, it's, it's been super useful in fact I learned for the very first time that my um, camera is actually on the left side of the screen. This whole time, I've had this laptop now for five years. This whole time, I've thought the camera was in the center of the screen. So I've been talking to, I've been completely just showing people my left cheek for the last five years of video calls. So thanks to Face and View, I figured that out. And that's just my little story about that. The word confidence uh, that Des used is is great because um, for a lot of people listening, you may think, oh, like this is not a feature worth talking about. You may think that it's just as easy to use face interview as it is to ask someone for help. Well, not everybody asks for help or uh, is capable of doing it. Asking for help from, from some people is... Uh, the hardest step for them. My pick actually kind of goes hand in hand with that. Um, you can ask AI for a little bit of an audio description, or at least here's the beginnings of that prospect. The Idea Place did a great post highlighting a combination of using FFmpeg. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I use it, but I've never had to say it before. FFmpeg and Be My AI to describe pictures from a video. So they actually take the frames of a video, 
turn each of those frames into a picture and then generate descriptions for each of those pictures. So it's definitely not replacing audio description, but it's like really uh, showing you how the future can look with AI in the mix to create audio described multimedia. The more tools we have at our disposal that allows us to be uh, agents in our own digital journeys and, and, and be creators in our own digital in our own digital journeys in an accessible way, of course. Um, the more of that we get, I think the the better off we'll be and I'm, and I'm quite the fan of, of what we're seeing um, happening here. I also like with this uh, particular process, they can take it a step further. You can even create the voiceover using 11 labs. So like I saw somebody take photos of themselves, um, have it fed through open AI or uh, be my AI, and then create a voiceover in the style of David Attenborough. And all of a sudden you have your own nature documentary about yourself. It's just uh, some really fun use cases for what's going to end up being a very serious technology. So I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. And we are done for the first episode. Um, thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions, any feedback that you want to send our way, uh, the email address is delgadioaccess at gmail.com. It was available, so I took it. Um, you can also look at the blog, delgadioaccess.com slash blog. We're going to have blog content, tutorials, and more fun stuff that I am putting together for you to enjoy. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Say goodbye to the good people, Lewis. Stay classy. And the only thing that left to do is credits. Research was by myself and Lewis Doe. Our intro music is Rolling at Five by Kevin McLeod. You can find more of his recordings at incompetech.com. The statements and views expressed in this podcast are personal and do not reflect the policies of our employers, partners, or any associated third-party entities. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.